This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist. I live in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I started Self Work about four years ago, a little more now, in order to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be very interested in psychological and emotional issues, maybe even be in therapy, to some of you who may have just been diagnosed with depression or anxiety or have a loved one that has been, and you've got lots of questions. Maybe you have a relationship problem that you're struggling to deal with. But there's also a third group of you out there. Those of you who would say, I'd never darken the door of a therapist, but you're just curious enough or you're just despairing enough to actually tune in to self-work. And I'm delighted to have any and all of you that are here. How are you doing has come to mean something quite different during the pandemic. We're all in our own diverse ways, handling isolation, quarantine, job loss, financial troubles, boredom, loneliness, grief, fear, and a new brand of anxiety that's literally about taking your next breath. When or how or why does it become too much? I'm reminded of a friend whose husband died of what they call the widowmaker several years ago. It's a sudden life-ending kind of heart attack where no one has any time to say goodbye. Your loved one is gone. Even months after the funeral, how was she supposed to answer the question, how are you? She knew that people weren't forgetting her husband's death, but the casual phrase hurt her sometimes, amused her at others, and sometimes that simple question was for her the straw that broke the camel's back, and her resilience gave way to deep sorrow. As her friend, I started changing my question from how are you to how are you today? And that one word made a huge difference. So today we're going to be talking about what to do when you've had all you can take, or so it seems. Your resilience fails you. The listener email today is from a woman who listened to the podcast on sibling sexual abuse in early February. I simply wanted to comment further on her response to that post, as I didn't mention something very important. That's why I love feedback from all of you. It keeps me on my toes. So welcome to episode 222 of Self Work, once again sponsored by a wonderful BetterHelp. I can't believe they've actually been sponsoring this podcast for almost a year. It's incredible to me. We've got some new ones coming on board, but I've loved having a relationship with BetterHelp. And so many of you have told me that BetterHelp has been great for you. So a word and an offer from them in a minute. I often get inspired by what I read in others' work, and as I was perusing Psychology Today this week, I saw a post by the author Terry Chaney, who I was actually lucky enough to interview last year. Her column there is always good, as she talks openly about her bipolar disorder and living with it, managing it, working in therapy. Her words are always candid and full of irony and blunt honesty. The post was called Flattened by a Tire and told the story of how she broke down emotionally when one little thing that seemed suddenly not so little happened. She starts out by saying how when people ask her these days how she's doing, she immediately says, I'm fine given everything. Yet she goes on to say this, and I'm quoting now, 
COVID has severely tested this belief. It's scoffed at my expectations and sneered at my plans. It's upended all my tried and true ways of coping with the curves, like maintaining a social life, seeing in person my doctors, and even indulging in a little retail therapy where I can actually fondle the goods before buying them. Yet when people ask me how I'm doing during the pandemic, I say I'm doing surprisingly well. It's like a mantra. Thank you, I'm doing surprisingly well. And up until recently, I thought I was. But then the silliest thing happened, and I realized I'm lying even to myself. I got a flat tire. It wasn't even a bad flat tire, as such things go. It didn't happen on the freeway or while I was driving or even when I was in a hurry to get somewhere. It just happened. I was going out to buy some groceries, and I heard a clunk, clunk, clunk as I pulled away from the curb. There's a lot of construction on my street, so no doubt I picked up a nail. An inconvenience, hardly worth crying about. But I did. I sat in the car, turned off the radio, and sobbed for 15 minutes. I cursed the damn car, the construction, myself, not sure why, other than I was a handy target. If only I'd waited another hour or gone another day, maybe my luck would have been different, or destiny would have spun in another direction. I'm so horrible with car problems of any kind, they make me feel like a helpless little girl, not at all like the strong and resourceful woman people are always telling me I am. How I longed for a rent-a-husband to guide me through AutoZone hell. You can tell she's a great writer, but she'd reached her limit. I've certainly had times like this during the last year when I'm ginning along, being grateful that I can still do what I do, that my husband and I can laugh together. I don't allow myself to sit with boredom or focus on missing my family and friends. I just try not to go there until suddenly I am there, and it can be triggered by a seemingly inconsequential thing. As I listen to my own patients, my friends, my loved ones, we're all doing the same. So many of us seem to believe or tell ourselves that it's weak to have a limit. I hear it all the time in therapy. I don't know why I got so angry it's not like me. Or, I should be able to handle this. Everyone else seems to be. The operative word there, by the way, is seems. Often people aren't what they seem to be at all. And when something is not like you, it simply means that something, some stressor, some change, some sudden unexpected thing, some experience is testing your skill set in a new way. And you may not even have that tool in your set at all and need to learn it, or maybe you do have it, but it's been a while since you've used it. So how do you handle suddenly feeling like you can't take it anymore, that something is the straw that's just about to break the camel's back or has broken it? You can criticize yourself, get angry or even rageful. You can feel ashamed. And sometimes if you can feel yourself breaking... You can turn to self-harm like cutting or becoming self-destructive. You can flee and escape through drug or alcohol use. You can even become suicidal. None of those options teach you anything. And actually, if they become your entrenched or habitual way of handling stress, then you never learn to what's called regulate your emotions to soothe yourself. That's a basic skill, a basic self-care skill, calming down. So this made me wonder about what are the healthier ways to handle this break. What can you be aware of or do, think or feel that can help you when your own back is teetering on breaking? I came up with seven things. You might be able to think of some others. But before we focus on that, here's that message from BetterHelp, which come to think of it could actually be number eight. 
BetterHelp has now been a sponsor of Self-Work for a few months, and I've been hearing how pleased you are with their services. I couldn't be more excited about that, as by now you know I'm a huge believer myself in the power of therapy. What is BetterHelp? It's an online therapy service that has earned the number one ranking for the quality of their service to their consumers. When you contact them, you are offered several different licensed professional therapists to choose from, all that have been vetted by BetterHelp. You can have sessions via video, text, or phone. And I found, because of course I checked it out before recommending it to you, that each therapist was very available, literally a text away, and made some of the same therapeutic suggestions to me that I'd offer myself as a therapist. Here's an excerpt from a listener who wrote in, I'm a 23-year-old living in Brazil. I'm only writing this message in order to express my gratitude towards you and your podcast. Having anxiety disorder, I always felt like I needed therapy, but I was too anxious to start it. With self-work, not only I've learned some valuable insights about dealing with my condition, but also the basics of how therapy sessions work, which allowed me to finally get some courage to start it. With the coronavirus pandemic, I'd also been concerned about attending personal sessions, but then I learned about better help in your podcast, and it sounded just perfect for what I needed. I've been getting online counseling from BetterHelp for six weeks now, and I feel like it's been helping me a lot. That's just so wonderful to hear. And now, BetterHelp has a special offer for you. 10% off the first month of sessions if you use this link. Trybetterhelp.com slash selfwork. That's trybetterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash selfwork. I'm never more honored than hearing someone sought therapy after listening to selfwork. And if selfwork is helping you, Maybe better help is your next step. So let's talk about what you can do about it. Y'all know I focus on this a lot. When you become aware that suddenly things seem to be reaching a breaking point, or maybe that breaking point has already been reached. Here's number one. First, there's self-compassion. I know lots of people who can have tremendous compassion for others, yet are simply not compassionate with themselves, calling that instead feeling sorry for myself or being self-centered. Y'all have heard me talk about this as a trait of perfectly hidden depression, but could be true for anyone who insists on maintaining control and not revealing any vulnerability. There's no self-compassion there. Because certainly when that break is starting to happen, you can feel very vulnerable and in seconds can go from having a decent day to actually losing it. So self-compassion is about allowing yourself your own emotions and not defining it as weak. One way to very effectively channel that self-compassion is through journaling. Why? Because there's something very powerful about writing emotions down, seeing them in black and white. Write what feels important to write, whether it makes sense or not. Honor wherever you are emotionally. And let those feelings live on the paper. You want to honor them in that way, that they are important enough to express. And that's being compassionate with yourself. Someone in my Facebook closed group mentioned the other day that if you journal as well, or brainstorm, if you like that word more, the things that comfort you, that soothe you, it helps you remember those things, and then you can add that into your week. After all, even a camel needs water every now and then. I found this article on camels. They say, these animals are capable of surviving the harsh conditions of a desert. They can go long periods of time without water. For example, the dromedary camel, a kind of camel that has one hump, can go about 10 days without water. But when they do decide to drink, 
They can do so in large quantities, literally up to 20 gallons or more at a time. So, self-compassion means being aware of how you are filling up. When do you take the time to do it? And do you even know what fuels you? For me, it's laughter and time with friends. When you're getting low on whatever fuels you, then it becomes important to get it. As simple a thing as making hot cocoa or a certain yoga pose, it can be very relaxing. Just staying there for a few minutes. These are simple things again, but you have to have the compassion toward yourself to know that those things are important for you to experience. Here's number two. It's also important to recognize the cumulative effect of what's happening. Let's say first you had an argument with your kid or your partner. No big deal, right? Add in that your company laid off more people. Oh, that's okay, but you know it wasn't me. Then add in you found out your aunt has COVID. She's doing okay, it would seem, but what some folks don't recognize is that all of these things by themselves might be manageable, part of life. But when they happen in one week or one day, with all the extra ambiguity we're all trying to handle now, those things can accumulate, and you can have a reaction that isn't like you. You can get angrier than normal, or do something that's completely out of character for you. So again, you want to keep track of that cumulative effect. Notice, be aware of that accumulation, and don't discount it. Number three is to stop comparing. I said before that the word seems can be extremely powerful. She or he seems to be a certain way. People are usually surprised, for example, to learn, I have a panic disorder. You don't seem to be someone who would have panic. Well, I do. We project onto others our own thoughts about them as if those projections were true. How many times have you gotten to know someone, assumed something about them, and then found later if that assumption wasn't true at all? She must never worry about what other people think. Or he seems so very sure of himself. Well, maybe, but maybe not. And then when you add on comparing yourself negatively to others, you're acting as if your assumptions are correct. It's possible they are, but we all have our vulnerabilities. I'm going to say that again. We all have vulnerabilities. Yours are apparent to you, but probably not to others. So let me give you what else you can try. Rather than comparing yourself, try emulating those that you admire. That way, those things that you see in others, you can try to build in yourself, one small step at a time. Negative comparison is simply another way to be self-destructive or self-sabotaging. Not only is it a bad habit, but if you tell yourself, I'm not handling this as well as blank, then you're focusing on the wrong thing. Instead, look around and see what others are doing to handle or manage their own lives and try to do that yourself. I also have always thought that being a copycat is the ultimate in actual respect or admiration. The fourth is mindfulness. What can set you up for that final straw? I just realized that those two phrases probably have a lot to do with one another, the breaking the camel's back and the final straw. I didn't realize that till right then. The straw you don't realize will take you under. Maybe you're not staying aware of your own well-being. You could be denying or discounting the impact of your losses, or you could be so busy distracting yourself or staying busy that you aren't checking in, in the moment, and recognizing how close your own unique overwhelm actually is. I have to admit, I do this frequently. I don't take stock of where I am in the moment. 
my mind becomes way too engaged on what I've got to get done or where I'm going that I don't realize how low I am on fuel. If you're like me, then you're not assessing your own process. Rather, your eye and awareness is in front of you. The answer here is to check in, be mindful of where you are in the moment, and assess yourself with objectivity and awareness. And what about number five? It's more than helpful to also know your triggers, not shame yourself for them, but recognize them, and let that awareness guide your choices. I wrote recently about a hike I went on years ago. I'm afraid of heights, but I still love to hike. But before one particular hike, I'd completely ignored my triggers when I heard that it was full of twists and turns. It turned out that it was full of narrow and steep paths that scared me half to death. The hike wasn't fun. I mostly looked at my shoes and the trail, not the magnificent views, because I'd completely ignored my known triggers. Now, this is a fairly simple example, but we can hate the fact that certain issues from our past frighten us or bring back memories that are painful. Triggers can certainly be that final straw, especially if they're unexpected and draw you back in time to an unhappy or even abusive place. Now, if this happens a lot, you need to get help with it because you actually may fit criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder. But we all need to know those things that are hardest for us to handle. And it takes some extra attention and care to be able to cope with those things. Number six may seem a little odd. Sometimes I see that people tell themselves they're not courageous if they don't plow ahead. No holds barred. Just get on with it. And they don't realize that humility is also important. I looked around for the definition of humility, and it varies really wildly from source to source. So I pulled this list out as the traits of humility. You acknowledge you don't have it all together. You know the difference between self-confidence and pride. You seek to add value to others. You take responsibility for your actions. You understand the shadow side of success. And you are filled with gratitude for what you have. To me, the choice to remain humble can help you keep from being overwhelmed because you're assessing along the way and pride isn't as likely to get in your way because you're more accepting of yourself. You stay humble. I actually like the fifth trait very much, understanding the shadow side of success, which to me means the awareness that success can be awesome, but it comes with its own difficulties. So the antidote of number six is not to get prideful, but to remain humble. And number seven is to get evaluated for actual depression and accept that even you can get depressed. Many people have come in to see me, and the first words out of their mouths involve shame. I can't believe I'm here again, or I never thought I could become depressed or have panic or be getting a divorce, whatever it is. I remember in grad school learning, for example, that if you sleep-deprive anyone long enough, that they'll become depressed and even at times psychotic. We all have our emotional and mental limits. If you accept that, and don't shame yourself for it, you can then seek the treatment you need and get up again, get that camel to begin doing its own very hard work after you've accepted that you yourself have become clinically depressed and you need help. I just talked with a young patient of mine a few minutes ago, and she laughed and said, I'm doing so much better, 
I'm the medicated me, but I helped her realize all the things she's actually doing on her own to make sure that the medicine is doing its part. She's writing. She's exercising. She's looking at her destructive patterns. All those things are her choices. That has nothing to do with the fact that she's taking a pill. So think about these things. Think how you might be able to incorporate one or all of them into your own life so that whatever you might choose to do that day or might happen to you, it doesn't become the next straw or the final straw, or it won't break the camel's back. Our listener email for today offered me some comments. She said, I'd never heard your podcast before and randomly opened it up. I gasped when I saw the first episode displayed, when brothers and sisters abuse each other. I'm working on this subject with my therapist and was shocked to see it right there in front of me, when I've never seen this subject anywhere before. It was hard to listen, but I thank you. I feel it's also a complex situation because you can still love your sibling. Thank you for bringing some of these facts to my attention. I will continue to discuss this with my therapist and hopefully also grow healthier. As I said in the intro, I'm always so appreciative when someone comments on a post or an episode, whether it's to say it helped or whether you think I might have missed something important. I do research these episodes, but certainly that search isn't exhaustive, and I can miss a point or two. This listener points out the confusion of sibling abuse, and rightly so. Often positive feelings toward any abuser can be present, whether it be your grandfather who taught you how to fish, but he was also the grandfather that touched you inappropriately, or the mom who was a mean alcoholic, but when she was sober could be quite loving, or a great cook and regularly made your favorite foods, or held you when you cried or when you were sick. People aren't necessarily all good and all bad, and that can be very confusing, but it's especially confusing what involves sexual abuse, or really abuse of any kind. Those positive memories can be entangled with the ones that weren't, and the ones that still actually hurt today. So it's a great point, and I'm so glad she brought it to my attention. I don't think she actually meant to do that, really. She was simply commenting, but I wanted to address it. Thank you all so much for being here at Self Work Today. Someone asked me this morning how I was doing, and actually... I'm pretty well on cloud nine because I think we're going to get to see my son sooner rather than later, and it's been a long, long time. So I'm hoping that maybe your life is very slowly opening up as well, and that self-work can be part of your healing. I want to thank all of you who've left ratings and reviews on Amazon for the book Perfectly Hidden Depression, which I published in November of 2019. You cannot know what it means to me to actually read your words if you've left a written review, or just a rating. Because people do look at that and they decide, well, is this a good book or not? And so far, 187 of you have done that for me and for the message. The message is what's so important to me. The message that the more you fight to stay in control and don't honor or connect with the things that happened to you as a child that were painful, that you could actually get extremely depressed, but you don't look it so no one is worried about you, and you can get more lonely and more lonely and more despairing, and suicide can become 
an option. I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want that to happen to anyone. And Perfectly Hidden Depression is my own unique effort to try to stop that from occurring. And also to those of you who've left reviews on whatever subscribing platform you use, of course, Apple Podcast is the largest one. And please know that the more, the merrier. I read all of them. I appreciate the ones that even sometimes point out things that could be better. That's fine. But just whatever you think. It takes two seconds. You can even do it anonymously. I'd really appreciate it. As I've said many, many episodes, you're my best marketing team. I'm on Instagram at drmargaretrutherford.com. I'm on Pinterest as well. You can reach me on my website at drmargaretrutherford.com or you can email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. And if you subscribe to my website, then you'll actually receive a weekly newsletter that contains both my weekly blog post as well as these podcast episodes. So it's an easy way to keep in touch with me. About 8,000 of you now do that. And I'm very touched and honored. Not everybody opens every newsletter, (laughs) but it's nice to know you're there. And I also invite you, I invite any of you to let me know if you'd like me to talk about a certain topic. If I know about it, I'll talk about it. I also have a Facebook closed group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. That's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. And I'd welcome you there as well. Again, my gratitude for you being here today. Take very good care in these still very troubling times. Take good spiritual care, mental care, emotional care, and physical care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.